Well, as we've been getting closer and closer to Christmas, we've been looking at Jesus's life and teachings through a lens that if you're on a spiritual journey, I hope has been helpful. Uh, If you were to ask Austin, who are the most influential people of the last hundred years? Three people that top the list are Gandhi, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Mother Teresa. What's interesting, though, is what we respect about these three is actually when they're living out the words of Jesus. See, we're not doing this series to teach those of us who follow Jesus more about Gandhi or Dr. King or Mother Teresa, but instead we want to look at what is it really like when you live out what Jesus taught, because that's what we actually respect and admire of these three. And my hope is that those of us who do follow Jesus take seriously the words of Jesus, living out what he said. See, the Christmas story is how God came to be with us, born as an infant in Bethlehem, a real person, a real baby, a real place to a real mother. Heaven came to earth in the form of a person. But that's not the end of the story. See, God is still with us. And through those who are willing to follow him, he brings heaven to earth through us. And Gandhi and Dr. King and Mother Teresa are all evidence of the way that Jesus brings hope and justice to our world through real people willing to live dangerously unselfish lives. So in the first week, we looked at how Gandhi read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, every day from his 20s until the end of his life And in that sermon, Jesus teaches us how to love our enemies. Last week, we looked at how Dr. King shared in his last message, Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, which is about loving our neighbors. And today, we're looking at Mother Teresa, who lived out Jesus' message to love the least of these. But here's the catch. We have to ask ourselves, and just be honest, why should we do good things? I mean, it's easy to see the problems around us, but it's also very easy to get overwhelmed. I mean, why should we love others who could be hard to love? I mean, why go out of our way for a neighbor? Or why take the time to help a coworker? Or why buy a meal for someone in need? I mean, it's it's easy to, to see how when you reach out to other people, it can actually end up biting us because people can hurt us. In fact, we have a phrase I know you can help me finish. No good deed goes unpunished. There's something in us uh, wanting to avoid stepping out and helping others. Maybe we've tried and it didn't work out. But what if we were to live a life where we just acted on the promptings that God has for us? Whatever it may be, small or large. What if we were to just become people who did good for the sake of doing good. And that's what we're looking at today when it comes to Mother Teresa. See, Jesus came to bring hope to the nations and he did that through Mother Teresa. And he can do the same thing through you, if you let him. Now, Mother Teresa was born in 1910 to Albanian parents. Anyone know her actual first name? Agnes, that's right, I heard someone say it. Agnes, doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? But she was uh, given the name Agnes Bohakchu. She was born of Albanian parents, but grew up in Macedonia. And her father was a businessman and an outspoken advocate of Macedonian independence. 
Tragically, at the age of when she was eight, she lost her father. He died of poisoning, some think by political enemies. Our family were devout Catholics, and her mother had a huge heart of compassion, and so she grew up actually spending time with people that her mother would invite into the home who were in need. And at the age of 12, she was on a retreat when her faith became her own. At age 18, she left home to join the Sisters of Loreto in Dublin, Ireland. There's where she took on the name Sister Mary Teresa. A year later, in 1929, she moved to India where she began to teach in a high school in Calcutta, teaching the poorest Bengali girls. She actually became fluent in Bengali and Hindi in order to better serve these girls and their families. And after seven years of teaching, she took her final vows as a nun. Now for her, these vows were less about poverty and chastity and obedience and more about a love relationship with God. You see, that's what really the Christmas story is about. It's God coming to be with us. See, God, the creator of the universe, came to live among us and showed us the way to know him personally. He's revealed himself to us. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God revealing himself in human form to demonstrate his love for us and to win your heart. So Mother Teresa said this, Why must we give ourselves fully to God? Because God has given himself to us. If God who owes nothing to us is ready to impart to us no less than himself, shall we answer with just a fraction of ourselves? See, her vows were all about wanting to show love to Jesus because of his love for her. Love was her motivation. And this is important because love needs to be our motivation. That's the only way to sustain faithful service to God and to others. No other motivation will work. Guilt will not work for the long term. Trying to prove you're good enough will not work. A fear of punishment will not work. It's only God's love for you that motivates you to love him that will work. Now, after her vows, she was called Mother Teresa. And on Sundays, she would go to the slums to visit the families of the girls she taught. In her private writings called Come Be My Light, she says, Every Sunday I visit the poor in Calcutta's slums. I cannot help them because I do not have anything, but I go to give them joy. Last time, about 20 little ones were eagerly expecting Ma, which is what they call her. When they saw me, they ran to meet me. She notes that 12 families would live in one house in these slums. And every family only had one room, which was six feet by four feet. And as she would leave on Sundays, one mother once said, Oh, Ma, come again. Your smile brought sun into this house. Her prayer that day in her journal was this. Oh, God, how easily I make them happy. Give me strength to always be the light of their lives. And so lead them to you. Less than a decade later, her prayers would be answered. I want to show you video clip that John Burke took on one of his trips. John is, one of, is our senior pastor. And I want you to know that these conditions in India still exist today. Go ahead. The poverty is rampant. We team with a guy named Jaya who's in a city called Rajamundri in India. In fact, you helped build a hospital there just a few years ago with what we raised at the end of the year. This year, our end of year giving 
will help fund 10 pastors to meet the physical and spiritual needs in 10 villages even poorer than what you see on the screen. We are selling scarves out in the lobby made by women in India, and your purchase is actually helping them start their own sewing business in order to care for their families. Did you catch which one was John? Yeah. Yeah, you can applaud for that. This work is making a difference. Yeah, John was the one with the soccer ball. But many times it can just feel so overwhelming when you're on a trip like that, or even here. But Mother Teresa, when it was coming to this idea of being overwhelmed with all the need, once said this, don't look for big things, just do small things with great love. See, that's how God brings hope to the nations. Through each of us doing the small things, he prompts us to do out of the great love we have for God. Mother Teresa found such joy in loving God. She made it her ambition to hold nothing back from him. She was later quoted as saying, many people mistake our work for our vocation, but our vocation is the love of Jesus. For her whole life, she lived as an act of loving surrender and trust in Jesus. Hers was not a life of religious ritual, which could happen for nuns or priests or pastors or even any of us who follow Jesus. We can easily lose our first love by just going through the motions. But Mother Teresa understood the importance of spending time alone with God, quietly reading in the scriptures, writing her prayers in a journal, seeking to listen to God's inner promptings. In fact, John Burke, our senior pastor, wrote in a book called Soul Revolution, how to hear those promptings. And we give you that book for free when you fill out that connect card. If you received that recently, maybe look in the new year at, at reading along and figuring out how to grow, to, to develop these disciplines that help us abide in Christ. In fact, as the year 2020 comes, which is hard to believe, 2020, I remember when our daughter Trevi was born and she was going to be in the class of 2020, I thought, oh cool, by then I'll, I'll drive our car, you know, fly our car to the graduation. It hasn't worked out that way. But in 2020, what if we were really intentional about connecting with God? Connecting with God daily. And so I've called this the 714 initiative. Let me explain. At 714 a.m. every day in the new year, just spend 7 to 14 minutes with God. Use the U version. It's an app on your phone, Y-O-U, and download the plan called the Bible Project New Testament in One Year. Now, I know for many of you, you've never really tried to read the scriptures, but I'm telling you, just a little bit of time every day, reading the scriptures, listening to God, praying and asking for wisdom of how he wants you to do good that day, you'll be amazed at how he will guide you. And then together, I want to invite all of you to join us on Friday, January 10th from 6.30 to 9.30. It's three hours. You can stay the whole time or you can come and go if you'd like. But just to spend an evening together to kick off the new year in a time of extended prayer and worship and scriptures. See, connecting with God daily can transform your life. It's building into that relationship with God Your relationship with God is like any other relationship. You will naturally drift unless you're being intentional about investing in that relationship. Mother Teresa had a practice in her life of connecting with God daily. She would often say, in the silence of the heart 
God speaks. See, this conviction came from trying to stay in tune with God's voice within. Not an audible voice for her, but a quiet prompting thought that required a willingness to say, yes, I will. I love you. She once said, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. What a beautiful thought. What story are you writing in this adventure with God leading you? She also said, we are all pencils of the hand of God. It would have been funny if she said, and some are duller than others, but she didn't say that. She didn't say that. But we all have the capacity to to tell a story, to let God write a story through our lives. What are you allowing him to write through your life, through your small acts of kindness that you do for others? See, that's why we do good. We offer ourselves to God, and God can take those small acts of love and multiply them, transforming the lives of others, including transforming ours. And that's what she did. September 10th, 1946, she was in the Himalayas for a retreat. She was listening for God's leading when she had a profound encounter with Jesus. She called her second calling. She felt like Jesus was saying to her, my own little one, come, come and carry me into the holes of the poor. Come, be my light. It was the beginning of the missionaries of charity that she would form a year later. She gave up teaching to move into the slums of the Dalits, the untouchables. Of this mission, she wrote, the particular end is to carry Christ into the homes and streets of the slums, among the sick, the dying, the beggars, and the little street children, to labor at the salvation and sanctification, spiritual growth of the poorest of the poor. During that time, she felt that Jesus was asking her to to even dress like the poor of India. In her journal, She felt like she was hearing from Jesus. You will dress in simple Indian clothes. Your sari will become my symbol. The poor I want you to bring to me. Do not fear. I will be with you always. Trust me lovingly. And that's the image we're familiar with, of her wearing what the poorest of the poor would wear. She felt like Jesus wanted her to be more relatable to the people she was serving. And that's how we should be. If we follow Jesus, we should not hide from the world. We should not think of ourselves as better than those around us. But we should live among those who are searching. We should be a light in the midst of the darkness. That's what we try to do here at Gateway, a place where people can truly come as they are. And I have to tell you, the reason we're starting these new campuses is there are people in Buda and Kyle and San Marcos, people in Dripping Springs and Driftwood that wouldn't ever come this far. But they need what we've discovered here, a loving community, a diverse community, a place where people can come with their doubts and their uncertainties and discover a God who loves them through a community that loves them. You know, I... I had a conversation not too long ago with someone who explained to me why this community is so important. This person said that this was the only time during the week to experience a hug. So you love and serve people with open arms and that is so rare and so needed. So Mother Teresa with this clear call 
moved into the slums of Calcutta wearing her poor Indian sari. She had very little to offer. She had basic medical training, but not much money. But she had a big love from a big God. And now she's known all over the globe. So how did this happen? What was her plan for success? Listen to it. She said this, I don't know what the success will be, but if we have brought joy to one unhappy home, made one innocent street child feel a keep pure for Jesus, one dying person to die in peace with God, it would be worthwhile offering everything because that would, one would bring great joy to the heart of Jesus. One life, that's success, making a difference in the life of one person, loving everyone, life by life. See, that's Jesus' plan to change the world. And that should be our plan, motivated by God's love to make the, a difference in the life of one person. See, all other greatness will fade, but this kind of greatness will last forever. Greatness motivated by the generous love of God. Mother Teresa lived her life by the parable of the sheep and the goats. About that parable from Matthew 25, she wrote, when Christ said, I was hungry and you fed me, he didn't mean only hunger of bread and for food. He also meant hunger to be loved. So let's look at what Jesus taught in Matthew 25. He starts off, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. I have to pause there for just a moment. Have you ever heard someone say that Jesus never claimed to be God? Have you ever heard that? It's right here. He literally throughout his ministry referred to himself as the Son of Man. And I always thought that was kind of his way of laying low. He didn't want everybody to understand who he truly was. He wasn't ready to give his life yet. He had things to do before he got to that place. But so he's referring to himself as son of man over and over and over. And everyone in those days knew exactly what he was talking about. He was referring to Daniel chapter 7. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But I want you to hear, he starts this parable referring to the son of man coming in his glory. And that the angels were with him and he would have a glorious throne. So what is this prophecy that he's referring to? Why would he refer to himself as the son of man? Why would he start this parable in this way. Well, here's Daniel 7, written 500 years before Jesus was born. In my vision at night, Daniel says, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. Now, this is really remarkable. Remember, the Jewish people were monotheistic. They believed in one God. In fact, they would say there is only one God and worship God only. And yet one of their most revered prophets tells the story of the ancient of days, the creator of the universe, God the Father, and the Son of Man who would be worshiped. See, the mystery of God is that he is one God revealed in three, the Father, and then when he walked among us, the Son and his Spirit here through all eternity. 61 prophecies from the Hebrew scriptures point towards God would walk among us, the Messiah, and we know his name to be Jesus. The Son of Man, reference that Jesus was proclaiming 
He's indicating that he is the one the prophets foretold. He is the hope for all nations. And he affirms this. He continues in verse 32 of Matthew 25. All the nations will be gathered before the Son of Man. The Son of Man, the hope for all nations. Did you know that the word hope in the Hebrew scriptures was always connected to a person? It's not an empty hope. It's not circumstantial hope. It's a hope based on the trustworthiness of God. We have hope that God will rescue us, restore us, use us to bring his life and freedom to those around us, to bring heaven to earth through us, that he will ultimately make all things right. All right, let's keep going. That's just the first two verses. So Jesus says in Matthew 25, in verse 32, the rest of the parable, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one, from one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will, will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This was how Mother Teresa could care for smelly, flesh-rotting lepers that most would run from. She cared for them like a mother cares for her child. How can we care for people others discard or mock or despise or avoid? She said it this way, based on this passage, each one of those people is Jesus in disguise. It's a great motto for us to adopt that each person is Jesus in disguise. See, when you love those children in next gen, when you're serving other people's kids, you're loving Jesus in disguise. When you serve hungry people under the bridge, you're feeding Jesus in disguise. When you greet new people every Sunday, you're greeting Jesus in disguise. When you go to the hospital to visit someone who's sick, when you take soup to someone at home who's got the flu, you are serving Jesus in disguise. When your in-laws and extended family come for Christmas, and when you are loving them and you are kind to them, you are being kind to Jesus in disguise. And let's be honest, Jesus can get really, really well disguised. <laughs> but this isn't just some imaginary exercise. This is what Jesus said. Mother Teresa preached Matthew 25 whenever she could. And she, you can find these videos online. It's so cute. She's so small. And she would share this five-finger gospel she would do this. She would hold her hand and she would start with her thumb. You did it to me. Everyone we see is created in the image of God. And when we serve them, we're serving Jesus. That's how the world is transformed. Everything she did, she viewed as an opportunity to show Jesus love. 
The smaller the thing, the harder the task, the smellier or dirtier or more difficult the person, the greater the love she could express to Jesus. You did it to me. Let's try it just for a moment. Just pull your hand out and let's just say it together. Starting with the thumb, you did it to me. Our hand can remind us that God has given us this hand to use to serve him by serving others. But that's not where Jesus stopped. The parable continues. Verse 41, then he, the king, will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave, you, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Now let me just point out, anytime you read something in the scriptures that seems to indicate something different in other places, then you have to in, allow the scriptures to interpret the scriptures. See, it would be easy to think that in order to gain a relationship with God, then we have to be more like the sheep and not like the goats. If we do the right things, then God will be pleased and then we will have a relationship with him. But that's not what the scriptures teach. Eternal life is not based on our good works. That's not consistent with the rest of scriptures. Even Jesus said in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, it's belief or trust, faith in Jesus that rescues us, that makes us right with him, that allows us to enter a relationship with him. Or Ephesians 2 says it this way, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, belief, or trust. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. See, right standing with God for eternity is a gift. You don't earn it, you can't work for it, you receive it with gratitude. So let me just ask you, have you received the greatest Christmas gift? A relationship with God through Jesus. That's eternal life. That's salvation. All you have to do is say, I confess, I need you. Forgive me. Lead me. So then what did Jesus mean when he described in what seems like very harsh terms the goats in this instance? What did Jesus mean by depart from me, I never knew you? Well, that's actually the point. There was no relationship. See, these were people who did not have a, an actual relationship with God. They might have had a, a religious look, but there was no actual connection. You see, oftentimes Jesus would speak harshly when trying to convince religious people that they actually still needed God, that they weren't better than everybody else. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is to speak the truth before you get to grace. That may be the only way that people with a hard heart will actually hear and respond. See, the scriptures tell us it this way in James 2. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. See, what's happening here is Jesus is saying, if you really have a relationship with God through me, you will do good. 
out of gratitude for what he's done. But if you're doing good to, in order to be seen as good, to look better than others, then you're actually not motivated by a genuine relationship with God. See, the more you grow in your walk with God, the more you will want to do good for others around you. You can't help yourself. Now, we're not gonna be perfect at it. We'll struggle, we'll forget, we'll stumble, we'll fail. But if your heart is connected to God, then more and more, your heart will grow to love and serve others. So in 1948, Mother Teresa moved into the slums of Calcutta. She was mocked. People called her the slum sister. But suddenly, people began to join with her in her work, serving the poorest of the poor. They took the abandoned on the streets to the hospital. They opened an open-air school. They established a home for the dying and destitute. The scope of Mother Teresa's work expanded exponentially. She said, I know God will not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish that he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> But it wasn't her feelings that sustained her good deeds. It was her love for God and her assurance of Jesus' words that were true. You did it to me. In the 50s and 60s, the missionaries of charity grew to just so much further than what you could imagine. Establishing leper colony and orphanages and nursing homes and family clinics, spreading to other countries. In 1979, she won the Nobel Peace Prize a woman who did not have much to give other than herself to Jesus. And through his work through her, brought hope to so many others. In 1997, when she died, Gallup Poll found her the most admired person of the century. But I want you to think about her path to greatness. She didn't set out to do great things, and she didn't really have anything to offer. And maybe you feel like you don't have anything to offer. What, what can I possibly do with all the problems around us? But it wasn't what Mother Teresa had that changed her world. It was living out the simple truth in small ways with great love. You did it to me. You and I have a chance to minister to Jesus in disguise. They're all around us. But see, she believed there was a worse kind of poverty than physical poverty. She said it this way, being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. That's why it's so important that what we do, not just at year end, but all the time, we're not just meeting the physical needs of others, but the spiritual needs, the emotional needs, the relational needs in the name of Jesus. And that's why at the end of the year, we invite you to join with us and give above and beyond what you normally give. We want to help the people in India, our partners. We want to help start these two campuses. We want to make a difference beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. I was asked recently by someone, if I were to sell stocks, could I give the proceeds to our work together at Gateway? And the answer is yes. And if you want to know how, we can connect you to the finance team in order to do that. But giving financially is really the least sacrificial kind of love for us to give. Mother Teresa said, it is easy to love the people far away. It is not always easy to love those close to us. Bring love into your home, for this is where our love for each other must start. Be concerned about your next door neighbor. And then she asked 
this haunting question, do you know your next door neighbor? We should give generously, but we should also give of our time to serve others. Uh, What if we did something like this in the new year? This is a, a terrible thing to ask of you. It'll depress you. But if you have an iPhone, you can go on there and see how much time you're on your phone every day. Now, some of you are like, well, you know what? Two hours of that, I was reading the Bible on my phone. Okay, maybe so, right? But what if we were to decrease the amount of time we're on our phone by one hour a day? Not a week. Come on, let's aspire for something more. Decrease by one hour a day and replace that with spending time with God and spending time with a neighbor. Spending time with our family, quality time. See, it's in doing the small things faithfully in a sustained way that makes the biggest impact. In fact, I just want a, a moment. I, I found, discovered this. There are so many people that have been a part of Gateway, even before Gateway South began, that have served faithfully, given faithfully, that have actually helped create what we now enjoy. And some of them are in this room. In fact, I want to put a list on the wall. If you're in this, on this list, would you stand up? Joe Lake, James Mbassima, Hammonds, Mark Fantacone, Amon and Juliana. Go ahead, stand up. Kimberly and Robert Watson Hempill, Yvette, Trent McGinty, Diane Broadhurst. You guys have served faithfully. Thank you so much. And we want to build on what they have done in setting the way for us. God wants to use us beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. It just takes being faithful to the one person right in front of you. So I want you to consider that. What does God have for you to do? Who does he want you to love and serve? Who is Jesus in disguise today 